Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation series. Good morning to everybody. I'm Nicholas Bornels of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you to Capital Link's corporate company presentation series. We are privileged today to have with us the management of uh, International Seaways. We have Ms. Lois Abrocki, uh, CEO, Jeff Prebor, CFO, and uh, Tom Trovato, Head of Investor Relations. Uh, a very quick uh, reminder of the disclaimer that this presentation is for informational purposes only. It is not meant to be investment advice or advice of any kind, or it's not an offer to buy or uh, sell any securities or transact uh, in them. Uh, logistically, uh, we are gonna start with uh, a slide presentation, and then uh, we have uh, the Q&A session and management will respond to questions. Uh, please feel free to submit your questions anytime during the session through the Q&A button at the uh, bottom of your screen and your questions will be replied uh, after the slide presentation by the management. Uh, after the live session, this presentation will be archived and available for replay upon demand. And uh, with this, I will turn it over to Lloyds. Again, uh, Lloyds, Jeff, and Tom, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Nicholas. Thank you everyone for joining. We are very excited at International Seaways to share just how the business is doing. 2022 and 2023, as we head into, get into January, both showcase international seaways really to our very best. And what do I mean by that? At Seaways, we have 47 product carriers and we have 30 crude carriers. In 2022, our fourth quarter will be the very best quarter that we have had since International Seaways listed on the New York Stock Exchange at the end of 2016. Go ahead to our, our fleet. I want to show you what our fleet looks like and what do I mean by 2022 and now as we head into 2023 has is absolutely showcasing International Seaways. This has been a market, a tanker market where both products and crude have really been far above mid-cycle earnings and have really shined and continued to shine. So you can see that our fleet is just over average age of nine years and that we have 9 million dead weight in tonnage capacity in the international tankers fleet, international seaways fleet. As of September 30th, we had over $475 million in total liquidity in the company. And even with our quarterly dividend of 12 cents and our special dividend in December of a dollar, you can expect that this liquidity has continued to grow. Our gross debt is just shy of $1.1 billion and our annual principal payments are $180 million a year. So you can see that we will be rapidly paying down our debt profile. On the right, lower right-hand side on that chart, you can see that our tanker values are now over $3 billion, and this has continued to increase. This was as of October. And when you contrast that to our net book values of 1.87, you can see that we have over a billion dollars 
in market value. Really what this means is that we acquired our fleet at discounted prices. And that's really being showcased in today's very strong market. Tom, will you click it? Okay, so this is a very dense slide. And if you only have time to really look at one slide, this is where we put all our statistics. We recap here what our strong, experienced tanker team continues to accomplish. Capital allocation, we have returned capital throughout the tanker cycle. We returned capital when the market was extremely poor, and we're returning even more capital now that the market is stronger. ESG. In the first quarter and then in the second quarter, we will take delivery of three new build VLCCs that are dual fuel and are 40% more efficient with their LNG capability than tankers that VLCCs that are 10 years old. Our lean and scalable model. We have a small base team here in New York City and in the lightering unit in Houston, Texas. And from that small base team, we manage with trusted partners over 2000 seafarers and 77 tankers. We have an extremely strong balance sheet. Our net loan to asset value is now below 30%. And we have tremendous upside, upside as we steam into February 5th deadline with the EU that's now taking close to a million and a half barrels of product from Russia will no longer elect to take product from Russia. And this will cause not only the product tanker market, but also the mid-sized crude carriers all the way up just shy of the Vs, which have their own factor to have longer ton miles and to be very strong well into 2023. Next slide, please. So when we look at our capital allocation, I think it's a point that's very well made. You know, we have a strong track record. Our capital allocation is not a formula, but the analysts and our investors have started to appreciate the way that international seaways has been very disciplined in allocating our capital. If a majority of the levers in the capital allocation are pulled at the right time, you can create a track record that looks like the one we have been creating at International Seaways. We have a track record of buying at low points in the tanker cycle, which we will touch on on the next slide. We have a track record of repaying debt every quarter without missing payments and voluntarily chipping away at our leverage, especially this year in 2022, when we started to get tailwinds into our business. We have a track record of returning to shareholders. We've committed to paying a fixed dividend, now 12 cents, which we doubled in 2022. We bought back shares in each of the last three years when we felt our shares were undervalued and we pay special dividends such as the dollar dividend that we paid to shareholders of record in December of 2022. 
This is my absolute favorite slide. And it's, it's uh, in tankers markets, those investors that have followed us and the analysts for a long time know how very difficult it is. Uh, you know, when the market is poor and you have to go against the grain to make sure that your acquisitions are well-timed. You can see here on both the top slide and the bottom slide. On the top are VLCC purchases. We bought secondhand vessels. We bought six vessels from Generate. We ordered the three dual fuel VLCCs that I mentioned we're gonna take delivery of. And all of those were at significant points in the market that were less costly than the asset values on every one of those ships today. Same thing on the bottom slide, where we look at the Suez Max track record and the MR track record. The majority of these vessels where we benefited from in the merger with Diamond S, and you can see that that transaction has immensely paid off. And both of these sectors, the Suez Maxis and more obviously on the MRs, the earnings have been incredibly strong. Turning to our ESG, we really would be remiss to exclude our focus on ESG. We move oil, we propel our vessels with fossil fuels. Naturally, our focus is on reducing our carbon footprint every day and in our business model. We put our money where our mouth is. We were the first in the United States to link sustainability to our senior debt facilities. And we have enhanced those metrics in our recent refinancing. We have key performance indicators in our financing that are focused on efficiency targets on our carbon footprint, but also on our safety metrics, which makes me very proud as a former seafarer to focus on the most important element of international seaway success. And we also have a metric on our green spend and our green investment. So when our vessels come up on their dry docks, we are investing in high performance hull coatings, Mavis ducts, and you know, multiple different targets of efficiency. We're tracking this and that rolls into the metrics of our, our um, financing. So I think this is really important in the way of the future. Next slide. Our hybrid operating model. I touched on this earlier. At International Seaways, we have a small footprint and then we rely on our best in class partners to execute a lot of our technical operations as well as our commercial operations. On the technical side, we have long-term partners with V Group as well as Anglo Eastern. And on the commercial side, you can see our pool participation on the lower left-hand side. Prime examples of our pool participation, Tankers International, International Seaways predecessor has been a part of Tankers International since its founding in 2000. TI today has 69 VLCCs. It's the largest VLCC pool in the world with leading contracts with really the top movers throughout the world. And then as we go down, 
our Suez Maxis are a part of Penfield, small US-based, highly commercial organization achieving top results. Same thing on the Afromaxis with Concord. And we moved to Panamax International as well as CPTA. Both of these, Panamax International, our joint venture, and CPTA on the pooling side, we have been together in, in joint ventures and pools with Ultragas of Chile, as well as Flopec on the PI side for 15 years. And these are very strong performing pools. And then finally, we have a heavy presence with Norden. And on our MR fleet, this gives us worldwide access to the markets and really top performance across the fleet. And then, you know, when we look at our financial position, I think these metrics I've touched on before, but it's important to revisit. On the lower left-hand side, you can see the liquidity of international seaways just at the beginning of the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter, as I mentioned, will be the strongest quarter that International Seaways has had since our inception. And heading into the first quarter, markets are still very strong. And then on the lower right-hand side, you can see our net loan to value at below 30%, extremely strong performance. And right now, you know, we're focusing on dual goals on our capital allocation. We continue to focus on debt reduction. And in 2022, we eliminated our most expensive debt with our eight and a half percent baby bond. Um, we voluntarily retired our uh, $20 million Macquarie loan. So, you know, we have a focus on debt reduction as well as on return of capital to shareholders. And you could see that in the fourth quarter with our special dividend, as well as our regular dividend as we head into 2023. And we look at our cash flow break evens because even in very strong markets, or perhaps even more so, it's absolutely critical for us to have a tight cost control. And I think that it's one of the areas where the team is very focused heading into 2023. And if you look at the lower right hand side, you can see our all in break in break even levels, including dry docks in the current year. And our total fleet-wide break-evens all the way on the right-hand side is $18,600 per day. And when you look at that number, that number takes into account the time charters that we have in place. We have around seven time charters in place or something like 10% of the fleet. And that helps reduce the overall fleet break-even of the $20,500 per day down to the $18,600 per day. Coming into our market outlook, you know, truly, as we come into 2023, and I touched on this earlier, we have had very strong, it is, you know, when we look at uh, 2022 on the MR market, that was, the strongest daily TCEs that we have earned ever on the MR, you know, on the MR space. You know, rates in the mid 2000s may have come close, but I would say 2022 was stronger, and we anticipate that momentum in 2023 to continue. As well, 
as on the mid-sized tankers, which are influenced by the product carriers as well. So our Panamaxes and our Aframaxes and our Suezmaxes in 2022 were superstars. We expect that to continue. And then the VLCCs did extremely well in Q4. And you can see we're heading into the Chinese New Year. As the markets come, you know, everybody comes back to work in China and hopefully the COVID wave passes there, we expect a very strong recovery in those tanker markets. Okay. And if we, you know, what are we talking about with these rates? You know, let's look at all the different sectors. And you can see on the upper left-hand side, really the MR markets, where we were in 2022, and then where the 10-year average ranges were. And again, this is not just looking at yesterday. Our expectation is that the MRs will perform very strongly in 2023. If you look at the VLCCs, I say the VLCCs were last year late to the party. I think that, you know, we're looking at China having had a GDP last year of 3% and that being the lowest that we've seen in decades from China. And now, you know, what we're starting to look at in China is, okay, the markets are opening. It looks like um, air, air fares, air flights, will peak up, step up for the Chinese New Year. This is the first time China is basically coming back from uh, three years of COVID lockdowns. And we're starting to see in December, they imported 11 and a half million barrels a day of uh, crude. You're starting to see the refineries running at over 14 million barrels per day. The China recovery will heavily influence and heighten that VLCC market. So, you know, when we look at our fleet and we see the MRs on the upper left and the APRAs and Suez down below, where I mentioned, because in 2022, Europe needed to pull crude from shorter distances, you saw the Aframaxis and the Suez Max market, as well as Russian crude going to further distances. You saw these two Aframax and Suez markets really respond very strongly throughout the year. So when I look at our fleet, we see the product carriers as coming into the year strong and continuing to strengthen. The same thing with the middle part of the fleet. And then we see the VLCCs coming to the party and you know, truly having that upside leverage. We move to, okay, what is, you know, uh, inventory levels in the world? What is, what is demand in the world? And you can really see here on the left-hand side, OECD inventories throughout 2021 and even in beginning in 2022 really had come down. And so we're in a position in the world where we're at low inventories. And if you look at the right-hand side, which is the United States Strategic Petroleum Reserve, you can see that we're at lower levels that actually combines the SPR with, oh, this is the whole OECD, right? So it's the US, which is 400 million barrels and all other OECD. 
But as you can see, we're below 1.3 billion barrels of inventory. So worldwide inventories remain low. All of this is a very good setup and construct for tankers. I looked this morning at the Brent crude prices, the forward, the forward look. The market is very flat. We're still slightly backwardated. We're not in a contango position, but frankly, when you're very flat in the curve like we are now, we tend to see longer movements because oil traders and oil companies are more comfortable putting barrels on the water. This is the topic of du jour, right? This is Russian exports. And as we know, heading into December, Russia was still placing around 500,000 barrels per day of crude into the EU. That has now ended. And we're seeing, you know, Russia dropped back in production a little bit, but now they've resumed similar levels as before that deadline. And we're seeing those barrels incrementally get placed into China, India, and Turkey. The next deadline to come, I think is going to be, you know, really in December, it was really uh, in advance, everybody ramped up. And I do believe that the EU presently is importing more product from Russia than ever. However, once we get to the February 5th deadline, we're really going to see a more complex scramble than what we've seen on the crude side. Because now the EU is importing close to a million and a half barrels a day of product from Russia. That product has to go further afield. Russia will have to pull in diesel from the US Gulf, from the Middle East and from China. And this is going to lengthen ton miles not just on the MRs, but all the way up through the vessel classes, because in the middle of the fleet, you have vessels that are either trading product or crude, and that overall ton mile is going to crank up and really pressurize the market. This is, you know, really our, our overall, I think it's re-emerging thesis. Before we headed into COVID, you know, it was really an understanding in tanker markets that you would have increasing non-OPEC crude production and increasing Eastern refining and demand. And this is a picture that really kind of shows the reassertion of the growth in non-OPEC production in the West of crude and the increases in refining demand and product demand in the Far East. And this overall construct is excellent for tanker markets and ton mile demand. Then this picture really exemplifies it even further. The majority, the green, the majority of refinery additions that have been added in the world in the last decade and continue to be added are east of Suez. So you see tremendous additions, uh, over 1.5 million barrels a day in the Middle East, as well as 1.2 million barrels per day in China. As far as the blue, you see refinery reductions that happened really in the United States and in Europe throughout the COVID period where demand was reduced. And you see 
over a million barrels per day and nearly a million barrels per day being taken offline in, the, in North America and in Europe. So then we move to the supply side. And this has been talked a lot about, but we still need to touch on it. It's extremely important to recognize, you know, uh, the very low tanker order book throughout the entire fleet that has been shaping up over the last couple of years. So if you look on the left-hand side, you can see the age of the VLCC fleet continue to grow. And the MR fleet age is even older. So you have almost 13-year-old MR fleet and nearly 11-year-old VLCC fleet. And when you look on the right-hand side and you see the new building order book, that's really the light print. And, and you see how just very few orders are truly have been placed on the tanker fleet. So we're somewhere like below 5% yeah. order book at this juncture. So it's, it's really the lowest that we have seen. And this is an extreme, extremely good construct for the tanker market to have ships that are aging out. And at the same time, you have continued demand increase. is another look at the supply side and really saying, okay, you know, we're at 20 year lows and, and there it is, it's below um, 4% on the crude side and right at 5% on the product side. And on the right hand side, you can see that the shipyards are not just sitting empty. The shipyards are really full of LNG new building orders, LPG new building orders, you know, many different sectors, the bulk and the containers really filled up the yards when tanker the tanker market was very poor and so now for tanker orders you're definitely looking at 2025 and if you want a VLCC you're probably into 2026 in order to be able to lose some of those sales. So that really you know brings us to wrap it up at international seaways with you know we are in 2023 are facing extremely strong fundamentals and structurally we have low inventories in the world we have continued resuming demand in the world um you know we look at RISTAD for our demand statistics and you know we looked at that yesterday and they came out and revised upward their oil demand um, peaking at 106 million barrels per day in something like 2027, 2028. And you can see that we're still in a very positive situation in the tanker market. Thank you very much. And then we will open it to questions. Um, okay, so this first one is do you think that there is further upside in tanker rate? Yes. Yes. So we definitely think there are further upsides in our tanker rates. So, you know, if we kind of look broadly across the sectors and we start with the VLCCs, we were very strong in the fourth quarter. And then coming into the first quarter, it slowed down a little bit. And we, you know, we are, you know, the VLCC market, we really do need China. And from what we can see, all the statistics look like China post New Year 
will really start to ramp up. And we, we definitely are seeing higher refinery rates in China, which means they will bring in more crude and they're even exporting more products. So, you know, then we look at the Suez and the Afras and the Panamaxes, which again, have been extremely strong and are really the ships that are have been called upon to fulfill demand, taking crude into, and taking crude out of Russia and delivering crude into Europe and have been very strong and we expect that to continue. And the MRs, um, you know, the, the product carriers are really uh, the first line of defense to bring diesel to Europe as they head into their next deadline here in February. So I think as a follow on to that one, Lois, um, what could go wrong with the with your thoughts on the market as mm -hmm. there being significant upside? Yeah, so what could go wrong, I think, is you know, recessionary headwinds. And when I look at, you know, okay, uh, recessionary headwinds can can definitely temper uh, the taper market. I think it's going to, that would only be a timing thing because structurally for the next few years, we have very strong, again, resumption of demand post COVID, you know, we continue to increase and, um, you know, all the different pundits look at around a million and a half barrels a day of increase this year, China alone, they're expecting to increase by 800,000 barrels per day. And, you know, if we have some recessionary headwinds that could slow us down, but our uh, basic construct on the tankers is set up for a very strong. Um, okay, the next one is um, thinking on fleet renewal. If asset values remain at elevated levels where they are today, do you think you're gonna, you know, will you still be doing and paying paying up for for today's assets as you start to renew your fleet, or what do you think is the best is okay. best age of yeah. plan? So you know, right now, uh, you know, we're in a really strong position because we were very busy when the market was low. So we did you know, a billion dollars worth of fleet replacement throughout the low cycle. If you consider the acquisition or merger with Diamond, as well as the $300 million that we invested in the VLCCs. So we're coming from a position of strength as far as our fleet profile is concerned. And, you know, then we, we sit and watch. I think that owners will continue to be hesitant because propulsion, you know, what is going to be the propulsion of the future? You know, we believe strongly, you know, in certainly for the VLCCs in the dual fuel nature um, and, and using LNG as a fuel. I think for owners, this is going to continue to be a learning curve and it's going to cause the order book to remain lower for longer. Um, okay, we have another question in here. Um, This is more in particular to, I'm going to put this into two parts. One is, um, which oil products do you think offer the most business for tankers? Um, and do you see some dirty tonnage moving as well, more upside in, in the dirty side? 
Okay. Okay. So, you know, start on the derby tonnage. So you definitely, you know, I always talk about, uh, you know, you have 400 LR1 slash Panamaxes. You have a thousand LR2 slash Aframaxes, right? So of that a thousand Aframaxes, like 400 are, are LR2s, which can trade clean. And of your, you know, 400 um, LR1s, you know, only like 70 are, are not able to work clean. And in that whole part of the fleet, what you've seen, you know, our LR1s are loading dirty. And pound for pound, those vessels out-earned their clean counterparts in 2022 and will continue to do so in 2023. Why? That whole part of the fleet, ton miles have gotten longer. And in particular, you know, on the Panamaxis, you're seeing them, you know, bring heavy fuel from further distances into the United States because the U.S. stopped bringing in heavy fuel from Russia, like 600,000 barrels per day. So that's helped the Panamaxis. On the Aframaxis, if you load out of the Baltic, you're most likely to be loading on an Aframax. And that has, you know, that being the hot spot in 2022 and carried into 2023 has caused a lot of upside on both of those sectors. And then as we look into February and the displacement of product out of Europe, out of the EU, it seems to be all about diesel. So something like 800,000 barrels per day of diesel is coming into the EU from Russia. This is a tremendous quantity that has to be replaced. U.S. Gulf, our MRs are in perfect position. And then LR1s and LR2s coming from the Middle East and China are also um, you know, perfectly positioned to replace that. Um, okay, this next one is on capital allocation. Um, Q4 was probably, as you said, was an exceptional quarter for cash flows. Mm -hmm. Uh, how do you think about and you, how do you think about capital allocation mm -hmm. considering what last quarter was we you had a dollar dividend plus your regular right. 12 cents uh, versus share repurchases and the like our CFO Jeff is on Jeff why don't you um, respond to that one sure lost uh, I think you you hit on it earlier on in the presentation once or twice that um, there's only three ways uh, to allocate capital. We have a good track record of balancing all of fleet renewal, deleveraging, and returning cash to shareholders. Uh, as you just mentioned, we, we feel like we've done a plenty on the fleet renewal side, having doubled the size of the, of the fleet in deadweight tons uh, recently. Uh, so our, our continuing focus will be to return cash to shareholders uh, while also uh, pursuing uh, uh, debt reduction, which primarily comes from the healthy built-in amortization uh, of our debt, uh, supplemented by you know, a, a, a little uh, voluntary um, uh, deleveraging on top of that. So um, th there seems to be a question about dividend versus share repurchase. You know, we did, uh, uh, we have a share repurchase program. We executed on it when there was a discount to, uh, to NAV. Uh, we paid a dividend. Uh, based on a special dividend on top of our regular dividend uh, based on, on <clears throat> the capital allocation decisions we made at the last quarter. Uh, so we'll, we'll again, look at both of those options, uh, share repurchase and 
obviously we'll keep our regular dividend, but special dividend on, on, uh, to supplement it will be in the hopper for discussion. They're, they're both, uh, both up for um, execution, of course. Thank you, Jeff. Um, here's another question that came in. Usually when the market is strong, um, the, it leaves room for some labor negotiations. Uh, is there going to be any labor constraints in the tanker industry or maybe with INSW specifically? So, you know, specifically talking about international seaways, you know, we have over 2,000 seafarers. You know, the average length of time that our seafarers have been with the company and our predecessor of the officers is over 11 years. This is extremely important because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, truly our seafarers are our strength, right? And, you know, what we're able to build the company on the back of. So the seafarers are extremely important, you know, on um, a lot of our fleet, we, you know, say half of our fleet, we have uh, Filipino uh, seafarers pretty much top to bottom. On the other half of our fleet, we have Indian seafarers top to bottom and Indian seafarers with um, Filipino crew. You know, we, we have seen some small uh, price pressures, but it's been quite contained. And again, you know, having that long, long longevity with the company, you know, our head of operations is um, here in the first quarter, going to be over in India, sitting and um, attending a lot of our training with our seafarers. And we do a lot to build the culture here and to keep the loyalty from our seafarers. Uh, another one that came in was um, with all the ship ordering in the other segments, is it possible that some may switch over to tankers in? <coughs> the you know, 24 to 26. Yeah, it, it is possible. It is possible that as, as you, you know, get further and further into the cycle, you know, you're talking about um, a limited amount of switchovers here. And I, I think that that's important to kind of look at, you know, the LNG tanker, you know, the LNG market continues to be quite strong. It's been highly volatile, but very strong. LPG markets have been much more resilient and quite strong heading into 2023. So in a lot of the sectors, you know, bulk carriers have held on um, with, with decent rates. So it's really only in the container space that you've seen, uh, you know, uh, less strong markets and you've, you'll see the limited switching. That's what we see at this junction. And I think this is pretty close to the last one. Um, that's what, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, the LR3, the coded yes. Suez map. Yes. You feel that there be there might be more. There's so few in the world. Do you feel yeah. like there might be more? You know, the, in play it, with, you yeah, know, the LR3. There's like uh, less than two dozen. You yeah. know, between a dozen and two dozen. How many of them are trading clean? Probably less than a dozen at this juncture. Um, I think it's going to remain a tentative size, you know, because, you know, many, you know, for example, in the United States, you know, most of our ports, you, you can't even accommodate a, uh, you wouldn't, you know, on the East Coast, you can't discharge even an Aphromite max size product carrier, right? So that involves lightering. So I, we might see a little bit on, on the LR3s, but I, I think it's limited. 
think we've okay. answered mine. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, thank you very much for joining us to hear about international seaways. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Tom. And thank you, Nicholas, and your team. Well, I'm the one who would like to thank you. It's been uh, a great presentation, and you got an avalanche of questions. Okay, good. <laughs> That's part of the value of this, uh, you know, to give the opportunity to investors to interact with you uh, directly. So, Lloyd, Jeff, and uh, Tom, thank you very, very much. In closing, I'd like to remind everybody that this presentation will be archived and available for replay. So we will be sending out the link to everybody and thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you.